Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Paul or Nothing. This is wide screen podcasting and the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Of course, I am your host, Sam Wiles, and today I am a little bit excited and I may poo my pants with anticipation. If you can't tell from that crude remark, yes, I am going to be going off the cuff here. <laughs> um, yeah. Game-changing events have forced my hand, and I've been forced to record something with a little less preparation than I am used to. Look, folks, you're listening to this show. You are quite likely quite the McCartney fan, and you clearly have some sort of internet savvy about you, so I bet even before you saw the title for this episode, you likely already know what's gone down over the last couple of days. I'm not quite sure how to say this. To put it into words? I'm not sure what setup I could possibly do for this announcement that would do it justice. So I'm just going to come round and say it. McCartney 3 is coming, baby! McCartney, motherfucking 3! One, two, three! The trilogy is complete. It's taken 40 years, but we're finally here, folks. It's coming out just before Christmas this year. It is the best thing that's happened in 2020 by far. It's not going to redeem this year, you know, but it's certainly going to take the sting out of it. And it's nice to know that one good thing has come out of lockdown or rockdown, as McCartney's calling it, which is just fantastic. Of course, folks, you all know me as both a fan of McCartney 1 and McCartney 2, especially the latter. And... To have Paul come back after 40 years to complete this trifecta, this triumvirate, is such an intriguing prospect for me. You know, we're going to have Paul the Young Man on McCartney, we're going to have Paul entering kind of middle age on McCartney 2, and then on McCartney 3 we're going to have the Grand Dude during Rockdown. What more could you want? You can't make this shit up, you couldn't write it. It's such a fucking cool story. It's available for pre-order now in some places. In most places it's listed, it's not available for pre-order anymore, despite how quick the turnaround for this episode may be. We'll get into what has and hasn't sold out specifically later. But yes, folks, this is happening. Do not adjust your sets. McCartney 3 is inbound. I'm excited as fuck, and we're going to have to prepare as best we can. Funnily enough, though, um, I'm actually editing my episode on the Phil Ramone sessions and Return to Pepperland with Andy Nichols from the Two Legs podcast. I'm sure you've heard of them, too. And I've literally just come up to a part where we are theorising about what was then only a hypothetical McCartney 3, and then this announcement comes out, and boom, it's essentially invalidated that whole conversation. Oh, well, that is the price you pay for having a backlog of episodes, I suppose, and, you know, I hope you get a few yucks out of it next week. Anyway, why are we here today? I, th- I thought it would just be best that I threw together a quick episode for all you lovely listeners out there. And the plan is, I'm going to compile and process everything that we know about McCartney 3 so far. Or at least that I know about McCartney 3 so far. I'm doing all of this, so you don't have to. And, fuck me, there is a lot of product surrounding this album that has come out over the last, say, 48 hours. So, let's just get right into it, shall we? Now, there have been unconfirmed rumours that Paul had been in the studio in 2020, but there really wasn't anything concrete. You know, those rumours circulate every few months in the McCartney fandom. Then, we had the first 
clue, I guess, that tipped us off, which was indeed a photo of Paul in his home studio that was doing the rounds a few months, maybe even a few weeks ago. But it wasn't until the leaked photo that showed the registering of a McCartney 3 internet domain name for, you guessed it, McCartney3.com, that the talk of McCartney 3 really started to pick up some speed. Of course, there was a part of me that wondered whether this was a hoax, but this information is largely public. And so outside of a Photoshop job, I, I had no real cause to question the veracity of this source. And most people didn't either, you know, people, people got quite excited by this. And from that point onwards, fans were scouring for any further hints of McCartney 3. Though they wouldn't have to look too hard, as unlike, say, Egypt Station, where, you know, the advertising on Paul's Instagram and Twitter was very kind of esoteric and weird, especially since we didn't know the album's title. But since it was already rumoured as McCartney 3, the fact that Paul would drop such not-so-subtle hints as three stones in the grass or three plants against a red background, you know, of course we're going to assume it's McCartney 3. Perhaps, you know... Oh, well, actually, no, there was a photo of a rose as well that he posted, and, like, that made me think, oh, wouldn't it be great if he just did Red Rose Speedway 2 and just pissed us all off instead? That would be funny. But, yeah, maybe Paul should have posted more images like that individual rose as not to give away the game so quickly... Then the number three started showing up everywhere, especially on Dice. Yeah, so last week, if you went on Spotify and listened to either McCartney 1 or 2, or Spotify's recent McCartney playlist, there was a chance that over the image of the album cover, a Dice would roll onto the screen and then end up with the number three facing upwards. Hmm, what could this mean? The dice theme then continues after a photo surfaced online of some Macca merchandise dice, uh, which is very difficult to say. These dice uh, had three on most of their sides, at least, with at least one other side having just the word McCartney on it, either the six or the one, depending on your uh, orientation. And it was all in this very nice looking grey velvet bag. Initial speculations were that they were for members of the press, but as it turns out, and this was probably only caused by delayed deliveries and stuff, they were rewards sent out from paulmccartney.com for people who had bought stuff from their online store as a little bit of reward and promotion. And it's a great way to reward fan loyalty. You know, how many more times can I be punished for not buying the Flaming Pie box set off Paul McCartney's site, you know? It's just salt in the wound at this point. But yeah, by this point, it was all but confirmed that this was in motion... You know, the only thing that wasn't there was an official announcement. And then, rather strangely, before anything came out from MPL or Apple or Paul, the online vinyl store called thethirdmanstore.com made their public listing for the pre-order of McCartney 3, their unique exclusive version of McCartney 3, and people were able to buy it right away. I'll get into what this release specifically was later on, but for me, this listing was the official announcement of McCartney 3. I mean, yeah, initially, again, there was a part of me that was suspicious that it was a fake. You know, it wasn't on Paul's own site. You know, people always try and make a quick buck where they can, especially for how, like, kind of exclusive this release appeared. But just a few hours later on that same day, a.k.a. Friday the 22nd of October, Paul went ahead and announced the album. Woo! Yes! Yes! McCartney 3! And, yeah, after I woke up, after passing out from excitement, I came across a slew of supplementary information that we're going to be covering today, including the trailer. Yes, movies don't just get trailers now, folks. Albums get trailers as well. I think even the music video for Here Comes the Sun that they did a couple of years ago, even that music video had a trailer as well, so anything's possible. But yeah, obviously trailers are an audio-visual medium, but I'm, I'm just going to play you the audio from the McCartney 3 trailer now.
Cool. A lot of interesting stuff there, folks. How much of that is the actual music from the album? How much of that is just created for the trailer? Is that Paul playing? Who knows? It'll be interesting to compare and contrast that when we get the album. I've got to say, though, I am proud of the uh, McCartney fandom here. I've got, to, I've, I've got to say, in terms of the fact that you've all been very apt in your ability to predict McCartney's moves during these troublesome times, you know, down to a T. Like, the moment lockdown happened here in the UK, all over Facebook groups and Reddit and other forums, people were saying, oh, well, McCartney's going to be stuck at home with his studio. Duh, he's going to make McCartney 3. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure we knew he was going to be doing it before he did. And I'm not making this up either. I have been reading this shit since early spring. People knew that McCartney 3 was coming, and yet this knowledge didn't ruin the, you know, the joy of the surprise for me, which was nice. Of course, we're going to get into this shortly, but everyone, I am just so fucking glad we're getting a quote-unquote McCartney album, and not just a solo album by McCartney where he mostly plays all of the instruments, like, say, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard. You know, I've just got such a, a deep and long-lasting connection with McCartney 1 and 2. I know I've barely been a McCartney fan compared to many of you listening now, but ever since day one, I've loved McCartney 1, and shortly after I discovered McCartney 2, and I've been in love with that ever since as well. Go back and check out the episodes I did on them. I also did a listen with Sam of McCartney 1 as well. Go check that out. I love these albums. And we just, we're not worthy, are we? Of course, what makes a McCartney album, I guess, is threefold. McCartney plays all the instruments, or at least is credited that way. McCartney produces the album, or at least is credited that way. And McCartney finds himself with recording equipment and a whole lot of spare time. And I guess for a fourth choice, which is really just an extension of the third... There is usually also some disaster going on in Macca's life. Though, in the case of McCartney 3 at least, it's a worldwide disaster going on in all our lives. So, who knows? This might be the most universal one yet. In terms of the music, at the time of me recording this episode, I slash we have not heard anything yet. I think very few people are going to get any sneak peeks of this music at all until the release date. But, you know me, folks, anything for an episode that isn't four hours long. So once some singles start coming out, you can guarantee I'll be covering them when they occur. I've also already seen articles online being pushed up on Google and stuff. Is this going to be McCartney's last album? Stop being so negative, whoever's got that sentiment. And, folks, if this is his last album... That's up to him. We're not in control of this stuff. Move on with your life. Yes, it would be sad, of course. But as an artistic statement, as a solo artist, McCartney 3 thematically would certainly fit the bill. But just because it would in some uh, esoteric, metaphorical way, it doesn't mean that that's the case at all. Ringo's older than Paul and he's still been making albums. I think Jerry Lee Lewis is 135 years old and he was still making music and performing live. Paul has said before, you can wheel him out when he's 80 and he's not quite 80 yet. But yeah, if you're worrying about whether this is going to be Paul's last album, um, you're kind of missing the point, really. Anyway, folks, let's cut to the chase. Let's break down what we do and what we don't know about McCartney 3. And let us begin with... The album cover! Yeah, we may as well address the artwork itself. We have now seen it, at least the front side, that is. Um, there are also pictures, uh, not very detailed ones, of the gatefold, and it's definitely going to be another collage of McCartney photography, which I'm very excited to see up close. But the main cover is a very simple and minimalistic image of a dice, obviously with the three side facing us. The background is black at the top and it fades gradually down to white in the bottom, uh, with the black and white dice breaking up the image in the center. 
The white dice is on the standard edition, so I guess that makes it the quote-unquote official album artwork, so that's the one I'm going to talk about. Personally, I've always enjoyed a minimalistic design aesthetic for album covers, and as someone with both a passion for board games and wargaming alike, I'm certainly partial to a dice or two, but I can't help but feel that this album cover kind of looks like some sort of placeholder image in the way that Paul might use a placeholder word or phrase in his lyrics until some better ones come along. And yeah, this photo... I kind of feel like this album cover's waiting for a better photo along the way, but it isn't. And instead, we only... We have what can only be described as a rather bland and uninspired selection. This is an official cover for a Titanic release, and it doesn't have much wow factor at all. The dice is an interesting image, and I'm sure the people behind making the 115 editions of this album were very glad that they would have something so easily, you know, uh, malleable to create alternate versions. And at the time of recording, there hasn't been anything published about the meaning behind this dice, but I imagine that it will likely just end up being either that there was simply a dice lying around in the studio one day and Paul saw it and thought, oh, that'll be a good, oh, that'll be a good idea. Or that it was inspired by the fact that Paul was stuck in lockdown, possibly playing lots of board games with his grandkids. I would love that. That would be very homey and family-oriented, as all of these McCartney albums are. Now, I know that was quite negative, folks, and I'm sorry if I've pissed on anyone's parade. However... However, we have not seen the rear. We've not seen McCartney's rear. And after checking all of the notes for the several releases of this album, it reads, Cover Art and Typography by Ed Ruscha, or Ruska, which is the front cover, and then Cover Portrait by Mary McCartney. So I think we can all work out here that Paul's going to bring it round full circle and have another iconic, era-defining, awesome rear cover image. And not only that, it's going to be taken by his and Linda's daughter, Mary, you know, the very baby on the rear cover photo of McCartney 1. So, you know, the legacy here is, is immense. It's going to generate so much nostalgia and warmth, and I can't wait to see it. And Look, because we haven't seen this rear, and because I have a sneaking suspicion that it's going to be amazing, and because the world is round, you turn me on, I'm not going to have a final judgment call on the album yet. You know, I reckon my love of the rear album image and the gatefold and all of that stuff on the inside is more than going to satisfy me, and I cannot wait till me and the Another Kind of Mind podcast gang talk about it in eight years when we get to McCartney 3. I've, I've seen a few comments here and there. Some people really like this image. A couple of you um, don't seem to be as bowled over either by this cover work. And I guess the reason why people might be disappointed with this, especially, is because of how iconic McCartney 1 and 2 are as album covers. You know, the bowl of cherries on the front of McCartney 1 and, and the rear image of Paul and his daughter in the in the bomber jacket. And then, obviously, McCartney 2 doesn't have an iconic rear at all. But that cover shot of Paul looking like he's having his picture taken in jail, you know, it's just such an incredible snapshot of history. And, and yeah, I, I don't think anyone was thinking we were going to get, like, you know, Paul with a rose in his mouth on this album cover or anything like that. But I was I was kind of hoping for something a little more elaborate. Like, this image that's been created for this album doesn't look like it took all that long to create, which I, you know, I guess might be the point. But, you know, the black and white gradient looks like someone made on Microsoft PowerPoint, for example. Uh, the dice could literally have just been a copy and paste job. You know, there doesn't seem to be much... Uh, handcrafted artwork in this. I would have much preferred, you know, one of Paul's grandkids to have drawn something with crayons. And um, But yeah, let's reserve final judgment on the album cover. The Press Statement. 
Yeah, this segment isn't going to be anything too complicated, folks. I'm just going to read you the entire press statement from paulmccartney.com and then perhaps pick apart things as we go through and then maybe a little bit at the end as well. Let's begin. 2020 marks 50 years since Paul McCartney released his self-titled first solo album. Featuring Paul playing every instrument and writing and recording every song, McCartney's effortless charms have only grown in stature and influence over time. The chart-topping album would signify not only a creative rebirth for Paul, but also a template for generations of indie and lo-fi musicians seeking to emulate its warm, homespun vibe and timeless tunes including Maybe I'm Amazed, Every Night and The Lovely Linda. I love that The Lovely Linda is mentioned in the McCartney 3 press release. Like, that's, that's adorable. The 1970s saw Paul forming his second band, Wings, and dominating the charts, stages, and airways of the world with and airwaves of the world, with multiple number one singles, sold out world tours, multi-million selling albums, including Band on the Run, Venus and Mars, Wings at the Speed of Sound, London Town, and more. Woo! In 1980, ten years from the release of McCartney, Paul wrapped up the decade of Wings with a surprise release of his second solo album, the electronic-tinged McCartney 2. Once again, featuring Paul entirely on his own, McCartney 2 would come to be regarded as a left-field classic with classic cuts such as Coming Up, Temporary Secretary, and Waterfalls. The 1980s saw Paul again, this time kicking off an unprecedented solo run. The following four decades would see Paul's iconic and legendary status grow exponentially, with solo masterpieces including Tug of War, Flowers in the Dirt, Pipes of Peace, Flaming Pie, Memory Almost Full, and New. Why is memory almost full there and not chaos and creation in the backyard? <laughs> and anyway, and massive live shows all over the world, actually setting the world record for the largest attendance at a concert. In 2018, 54 years since the Beatles' first number one hit on Billboard album charts, Paul's Egypt Station would Paul's Egypt Station would yet be another historic number one McCartney album. For a week. Hard as it is to believe, it's only been two years since Egypt Station. Fuck, has it been two years, two years since Egypt Station? My God, I'm getting old. And it was only last year that Paul's Freshen Up Tour played its last show before Covid hit the pause on live music. A legendary blowout at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. Paul hadn't planned to release an album in 2020, but in the isolation of Rockdown, he soon found himself fleshing out some existing musical sketches and creating even more new ones. Before long, an eclectic collection of spontaneous songs would become McCartney 3, a stripped-back, self-produced and quite literally solo work, marking the opening of a new decade in the tradition of the 1970s McCartney and 1980s McCartney 2. The only difference here being that, you know, that McCartney 1 was heralding a, a post-Beatle sense of hope for the future and McCartney 2 was Paul kind of predicting everything the 80s would be. I guess, in that sense, McCartney 3 might be used as, say, like, the funeral song for civilization. Who knows? Recorded earlier this year in Sussex, McCartney 3 is mostly built from live takes of Paul on vocals and guitar or piano, and then overdubbing his bass playing, drumming, etc. atop that foundation. The process first sparked when Paul returned to an unreleased track from the early 90s, When Winter Comes, co-produced by George Martin. Paul crafted a new passage for the song, giving rise to the album opener, Long-Tailed Winter Bird. Whilst When Winter Comes, featuring its new 2020 intro, Winter Bird becomes the new album's grand finale. Speaking about three, Paul said, I was living in lockdown life on my farm with my family, and I would go to my studio every day, but I had to do a little bit of work on some film music that had turned into an opening track, and that turned into the opening track, and when it was done, I thought, what will I do next? I had some stuff I'd worked on over the years, but some time would run out and it would be left half finished, so I started thinking about what I had. Each day I started recording with an instrument and I wrote the song on that and then gradually layered it all up. 
It was a lot of fun. It was about making music for yourself rather than making music that had to be done as a job. So I just started doing stuff I fancied doing. I had no idea that this would end up as an album. Long Tail Winter Bird and Winter Bird When Winter Comes bookend McCartney 3's vast and intimate range of modes and moods, from soul-searching to wistful, from playful to raucous, and all points in between, captured with some of the same gear from Paul's rude studio used as far back as the 1971 Wing Sessions. And Paul's array of vintage instruments that he played on the new album have an even more storied history, including Bill Black of the Elvis Presley original trio's double bass, alongside Paul's own iconic Hofner violin bass, and the Mellotron from Abbey Road Studios, used on Beatle recordings, but to name a few. I'm guessing that's the Mellotron from Strawberry Fields Forever, and the one that we saw in the... Uh, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard, like promotional little live concert he did. In keeping with McCartney and McCartney 2's photography by Linda McCartney, the principal photos for McCartney 3 were shot by Paul's daughter, Mary McCartney, with additional photography by Paul's nephew, Sonny McCartney, as well as photos Paul took on his phone. That's fucking awesome. We're going to get a Paul McCartney selfie, folks. Brace yourselves. It's a family affair. The cover art and typography is by celebrated American artist Ed Rusher, or Rushka, Rushcha. McCartney and McCartney too each saw Paul open up a new decade with reinvention, both personal and musical. Just as McCartney's 1970 release marked Paul's return to the basics in the wake of the biggest band breakup in musical history, and the 1980 avant-garde masterpiece McCartney too rose from the ashes of wings, McCartney 3 finds Paul back on his own, turning unexpected circumstances into a personal snapshot of a timeless artist at a unique point in history. McCartney 3 will be released December 11th on Capitol Records across all digital platforms, on CD and on LP. So yeah folks, there is a lot to unpack there. Firstly, let me just say it's so refreshing to hear press uh, that is so positive towards Paul, even from his own camp, you know, it's so celebratory of Paul's best work. Like, yeah, it would have been fantastic if they'd, if they'd have thrown something like Press to Play in there as like one of Paul's greats from the 80s or something. But yeah, that was a fantastic press release. That's totally sold me on this whole concept, even though I was totally sold on it already. I love the fact that Paul has called it Rockdown, what a great grand dude pun. And I don't think I ever read a press statement for Egypt Station. And I remember I had issues with going into that album with the wrong mindset. And this is a press statement that definitely gets rid of all of those worries for me. Like, I'm totally prepared for this album. I know what I'm going into, why it's going to sound the way it's going to sound. It's got me hyped for the opening and closing track. You know, it's, it's, really, it's really well put together. Of course, we found out two song titles from this and that they bookend the album. So we know slightly the track listing there. Um, we know Paul's going to use the Mellotron. So there's definitely going to be at least something McCartney 2-esque in there. Though I cannot wait to hear Paul doing some double bass with Bill Black's Elvis Presley double bass. That's going to be so cool. But yeah, not, not too much to pick apart there. It's, it, was, it, it was pretty self-explanatory. But let's move on to some of the juicier stuff. The Loud and Quiet Magazine Interview On the 21st of October 2020, we were treated to an article from, as I just said, The Loud and Quiet Magazine. And it's quite clear that the interviewer, Stuart Stubbs, is an incredibly lucky man. He had unfettered access to this album. He's clearly listened to the whole thing. He's able to question Paul on it very specifically. And he and Paul go into a surprising amount of detail. Like, of course, whenever you read anything new about a McCartney album, it's not tinged with that, oh, he's just retelling the same stories stuff. And like, it's always you know, very exciting. And you're always ravenous to to hear what, what he's going to say on this new content. But just in terms of being an article as a whole, I was very satisfied with it. 
Stuart Stubbs was clearly a McCartney fan. He asks him about things like Check My Machine, which is only going to make me happy. It's like he didn't just ask him about like coming up and maybe I'm amazed, you know. And McCartney seemed to be very engaged with it. I'm sure he asked Mr. Stubbs to take out all of these, uh, you knows. But yeah, Paul is as insightful, funny and interesting as ever. Now, the most important part of this article for me was the review of the album that was featured in the midpoint. And it's going to reinforce some of the things we've just discussed in the press release. And again, it's very telling about what we should and importantly, should not expect about McCartney. It says, The other McCartneyisms are still there. It's a sketchbook of freewheeling ideas completely made by one man at his home in Sussex, with daughter Mary McCartney stepping into the role of artwork photographer, previously held by her mother Linda. Favouring acoustic instruments over electronic, it shares more in common with McCartney's debut than its follow-up a decade later, although it's perhaps number three that's the most eclectic of them all. Opening with a long, practically instrumental acoustic guitar piece and continuing to throw caution to the wind after that. A vital characteristic in making McCartney 3 rather than making another standard Paul McCartney solo album. Inside are vintage, chipper McCartney tracks. The odd eccentric to sit next to polythene Pam, some big glam riffs, full band sounds and delicate demos, and a brilliant midway point that accurately portrays the overwhelming feeling of love and the current claustrophobia of 2020 lockdown. It definitely features some of the best music McCartney has made in years, and even in its moodier moments, his optimism, of course, rises to the top. It's me, he told me when I spoke with him yesterday, bringing to mind an earworm from the album that is hard to shake, a hook that McCartney sings. It's still okay to be nice. So, first of all, in the way that I was very interested to hear the supposed Donald Trump song from Egypt Station, I'm, of course, very interested to hear the Lockdown song from McCartney 3. That's definitely going to be a fun gimmick of this album. You know, this is the Lockdown album. Like, who hasn't experienced Lockdown? You know, this is one of the most universal themes that Paul could be writing about at this point. So, so I'm not surprised it's hit home and struck a chord with Mr. Stubbs. The quote where he says, even though in his moody moments, his optimism, of course, rises to the top, that does reassure me that no matter what this album is, it's still going to be a Paul McCartney album. Now, if anyone was disappointed that we're not going to get a reboot or sequel or remake of McCartney 2, then I'm going to have to tell you, you, you know, you're probably being a little bit naive. Like, that album is and was a bit of an anomaly in his discography, I'd say. And we're lucky enough to have it at all, let alone all the bonus stuff. And even if McCartney 2 wasn't electronic, it was something else weirdly different and and esoteric, you could never say that McCartney 3 was ever going to sound anything like McCartney 2 because McCartney 2 sounds like nothing... Because McCartney 2 sounds nothing like McCartney 1. It's not what he does. And I mean, it's not like he's never done any other experimental sin-based synth-based or electronic music ever you know if he hadn't then i'd understand the plight but as paul continues here he already has done loads of work in the vein of mccartney too he said i did other similar projects like the fireman working with youth that was a bit similar because we'd go into the studio and youth or i would just have a little bit of an idea and it was kind of a homemade project but it never occurred to me to do another mccartney album Not only that, though, folks, but home recording and home production techniques with things like GarageBand have become so ubiquitous and advanced over the the last few years. A true kind of real indie revolution. And the fact that he never does the same album twice anyway, even when it would be in his best interest to do so, means that, of course, this was going to be something different. Let's just embrace it. Let's dive in the deep end. Though, very much like uh, Stuart in the article, Paul does reassure us that it's still going to be a classic Macca record. He said, It's to do with freedom and love. There's a varied lot of feelings on it, but I don't set out for it all to be like that. But 
I didn't set out for it to be all like, this is how I feel at the moment. The old themes are there, of love and optimism. Seize the day, it's me, that's the truth. Now, we just heard another song title there, Seize the Day. I'm guessing that's going to be the COVID 2020 lockdown song, you know, just, just from the title alone. But yeah, speaking of other songs, later on in the same article, the writer, Stuart, begins asking questions so specific that, as I mentioned, he would have had to have listened to the album in full prior to the interview. And they are so importantly revealing about another two tracks that I'm sure you don't mind me reading them out in full. One of my favourite songs on the album is the midway point of Deep Deep Feeling, which is over eight minutes long. If people are expecting your lockdown album to feel like lockdown, that's the track that feels the most claustrophobic to me, despite it being essentially about love. That was one of the songs I actually started last year. If I'm lucky, I'll have a bit of time when I go to the studio and make something up. And so I just tried to do something that I haven't done before. This was one of those ones that I didn't finish. To me, what it was about was, sometimes I don't know how it happens, even when it is, but when you're feeling real love towards someone, sometimes it can manifest in a tingling over your whole body, and it's a pretty funny feeling, and you almost don't like it. What the hell is this? It's like you're about to be beamed up into a spaceship or something. On this song, I was fascinated with the idea of that, that deep, deep feeling when you love someone so much that it almost hurts. And that was the start of all that, but after I made it, I thought, well... This isn't for anything. It's certainly not a three-minute single. What became nice about working in the studio was that in the evening, Mary would be cooking because she loves to cook. And then we'd be sitting around before dinner and she'd say, well, what did you do today then? And I'd go, oh, okay, I'll play it for you. And I always wanted to keep it going. I just wanted it to go on forever. It's a bit indulgent. And I was a little bit worried about that. You know, I thought I really needed to cut this down. But before I did that, I just listened to it and I thought, you know what, I love this. I'm not going to touch it. The album comes full circle when it ends on the riff of the opening track Long-Tailed Winter Bird and segues into When Winter Comes, which he recorded years ago with George Martin, right? Yes, there's nothing on that track. It's just me. I made a track called Calico Scars a while ago. For the 1977 album Flaming Pie. Which George produced. At the same time, because I was in the studio and had an extra minute or so, I had this other song, so I said, let's knock this one off. That was When Winter Comes, and I mentioned George because I was on a George Martin produced session, which is just me on guitar. It was nearly going to be a bonus extra on the last reissue of Flaming Pie, but I'd just been reading that great book on Elvis, Last Train to Memphis, and it mentioned a song that, and it said you'd probably never heard it because it was buried as a bonus on the B-side of an album. So I thought, no, I'd rather have it as a proper track. And we finished the album with it because the reason for doing the whole thing, because me and my mate Jeff Dunbar who's an animation director, were talking about making an animated film to that song. So that's where the opening and closing tracks come from, which got me into the studio in the first place. (coughs) Again, everyone, a lot to digest there. We've had a couple more song titles. There were a couple of other songs that were visible on the photos of Side 1 that were released uh, in one of the press photos. For the most part, they were too blurry to make out for me 100%, but thanks to my fantastic Twitter followers out there, I've managed to confirm them. From the looks of it, we have the aforementioned long-tailed winter bird, then find my way, pretty boys, then women and wives, and from what I could see, it was Hathaway Hill. And a song called Sliding, which I can remember hearing at some point. I'm not sure whether that was leaked or not. Then there's Deep Deep Feeling that the interviewer mentioned. And later on this, and then there was Seize the Day and When Winter Comes. So, yeah, I think that's about 60-70% of the album tracks we've heard now. Just a few to go upon release date to keep us upon tender hooks. But yeah, going back to the release of this album, there was a great quote about when McCartney knew when, in fact, he was making McCartney 3. He said, I'd just been stockpiling tracks, and I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do with all of this. I guess I'll hang on to it. And then I thought, wait a minute, this is a McCartney record, because i played everything and done everything in the same manner as McCartney 1 and 2. That was a little light bulb going off, and I thought... 
Well, at least that makes a point of explaining what I've been doing, unbeknownst to me. Now, this comment does have me excited because more than the home recording aspect and the fact that Paul plays every instrument, the most crucial aspect as to what makes a McCartney album a McCartney-style album for me is the idea that Paul never knew what he was making when he was making it. Go back to the interviews from McCartney 1 and McCartney 2. Well, preferably go back to my original episodes, but go back and find those sources and you will encounter very similar statements where Paul asserts that each album, for the most part, was an accidental product. What did make me laugh, though, was how clinical and mathematical Paul explains the process. He he almost makes it feel like a, a mathematical certainty under the right conditions, you know. Paul plus time plus instruments equals a McCartney album. But he explained it as... With me, when I've got a lot of time, my go-to situation is, well, write and record then. It's something to do when you've got a lot of spare time. I just love the idea, and I'm attracted to the idea that there is someone out there called Paul McCartney in Sussex who is so talented that in his spare time, for the lols, for a bit of fun, he can create not one album, not two albums, but potentially three albums that are going to be in my top 20 forever. I cannot fathom how talented this man is. But enough wanking off of Paul. Because finally, I wanted to highlight just one last part of the interview that really resonated with me personally, because it's something that I myself have experienced many a time. It reads... What's great about McCartney 2 is that people tend to think that they know what Paul McCartney sounds like and they've already made their minds up. But you can play someone front parlour or temporary secretary and they might not even believe it's you. I love that. That's what I'm trying to do with those kind of songs. I was in LA when I was doing Egypt Station with Greg Kirsten, the producer, and we were wandering around his little studio when they were setting up. And Will I Am was there with one of his mates and he said... Paul, I was just listening to Check My Machine. And the other guy was like, what? I've never heard of it. He got up his phone and they were like, yeah, vindication. They were just, they just come out of the woodwork, those things. I was just goofing around. So what's that quote got to do with me exactly? Well, undoubtedly, as I'm sure many of you are aware, the instrumental bonus material and the instrumental tracks from the McCartney 2 sessions you know, including songs I've just mentioned, like Frozen Japanese and Secret Friend. They are all songs that I will regularly slip onto playlists at any and all social gatherings. And the best part is, and this is repeatable, I have encountered this phenomena multiple times, folks, is that unlike the occasions when I put on a recognisable McCartney or Beatles track, you know, which will likely be skipped or shut off rather quickly. When I play some of the McCartney 2 electro synthy stuff, they never tell. They're like, oh, what's this? This is really cool. And then I can say, oh, this is Paul McCartney. And they are aghast. They, are, they feel like I have tricked them into some sort of satanic cult. But no, I am indeed got them to enjoy a Paul McCartney song without them knowing they have been enjoying... But no, I have got them to enjoy a Paul McCartney song without them ever knowing that they were enjoying a Paul McCartney song, which is just such a a thrill for me. But yeah, overall, very insightful interview there. I really enjoyed reading it. You know, I learned more than I expected to with any initial McCartney kind of album interview. So props to Stuart Stubbs for that. Thank you very much. You're a very lucky bastard. Please get in contact with the show. If you somehow hear this, tell us what McCartney 3 is like if you haven't been given some sort of gagging order. Yeah. Anyway, pressing on. The Radio 6 Broadcast. Then, a couple of days ago, at the time of recording, we also had a radio interview with Paul McCartney himself on the Sean Kevney show on BBC Radio 6 here in the UK at 1pm, which which 
runs for three hours until 4pm. BBC Radio 6, for the benefit of our overseas listeners, is an internet-only music station that specialises essentially in playing, on the most part, really interesting alternative music. I remember my good friend and university flatmate Chris Hicklin always had Radio 6 on in the background. And yeah, it's a fantastic way to discover new music and reappreciate stuff you think you may have forgotten. Of course, Paul isn't promoting a commercial album like Egypt Station. He's promoting McCartney 3, the third in a series of homemade, handmade albums. So it makes total sense that he would appear on this station than, say, one of the more mainstream ones like BBC Radio 1 or 2. Now, I wasn't aware of the Sean Keaveny show, Keaveny's show. So I wasn't aware that the interview portion of his show was going to be split over three parts and not a solid hour of McCartney material. And a couple of people had implied to me that that there was going to be a single release that day as well. So they was probably thinking, oh my God, we're going to hear a McCartney song. And so when I heard a disclosure by Funky Sensation, when that song started playing, I did have a mild heart attack thinking that this was Paul's new direction. Yeah. The main point is... Rather annoyingly, I did have to end up waiting around an hour before they actually played any of Paul's stuff. That's their shtick. They're, they're, you know, they're getting me to listen to the entire broadcast. Good for them. They won. But to be fair, whilst I was waiting for all of the McCartney stuff to appear, I did indeed enjoy a diverse array of songs from stuff I'd heard before, like Blondie and Public Enemy, Della Soul, Red Hot Chili Peppers and even a bit of Macca himself in between, I did also encounter stuff that I'd never heard before, like the Ontario rock duo L.E.N. or Len, the New York band Sunflower Bean, Edwin Collins, and even a new solo track from Guy Garvey, the lead singer from Elbow, which was actually pretty great. Also, rather fittingly, and I wonder if this was a choice reference, but... The song that preceded this 1pm programme was a track called Witchcraft by Fela Kuti and the Nigeria 70. And Fela Kuti, of course, you will all know as one of the inspirational artists for the Lagos-based Band on the Run sessions. You know, he bursts into the studio, apparently, accusing McCartney of stealing African music. See episodes Passim. So, Paul began talking about how he really doesn't grow the McCartney 1 1970s era beard anymore because it gets too itchy and he shaves it all off. Something I can really sympathise with, with having to wear a mask all the time now. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about how he spent lockdown with Mary McCartney, his daughter, and his grandkids, and how that wasn't all that bad for him. Which is good because I know a lot of fans were worried about his lack of media presence, you know, but however, he was at least gracious enough to point out the fact that he was awkward in expressing this. You know, he was aware that a lot of other people haven't had such a good time during Covid. The best part, though, was that this was all done under the McCartney One instrumental track Valentine Day which is a song that I never thought I'd ever hear on public radio. Then they discuss McCartney, McCartney 1, and how it was the herald of the lo-fi homemade movement. None of the hosts seemed particularly uh, naturally knowledgeable at this point. They seemed to be reading from the same press release that I was earlier, but that's fine. Paul himself was still incredibly engaging and fun to listen to talk about this album, even if it's stuff that I may have heard before. We got a little bit of Beatles breakup talk. Then, similarly to the Loud and Quiet article, he mentions essentially that he had all the instruments in 1970, uh, including the four-track recorder he got from Abbey Road, and all this spare time. And again, how nature essentially took its own course. The best bit from this part of the interview was how Paul talking about his genuine affection for McCartney won, though, and how he was happy that it has been rightly reassessed as a minor classic. 
though he did make it somewhat obvious that he was all too aware of the criticisms that this album had been thrown at it over the years um, and how it was meant to be a piece of crap when it came out. His words, not mine. He even admits to it being slightly indulgent and how that's what he personally likes about the album. And I'm sure this applies to many of you out there. That is exactly what I enjoy so much about McCartney slash McCartney One. So it's sweet to know that Paul is on the same page as many of us with his discography, especially in more recent years. Then they closed out this segment with Every Night in Full, which was nice. Then after like another hour's intermission and to the sound of Front Parlour, Frozen Japanese and Check My Machine, Paul talked about the genesis of McCartney 2 and how once again he had all these new synths and how he felt like a crazy mad professor locked away in his mad laboratory. And he gave a huge shout out and time slot to Secret Friend, which, oh my gosh, hearing Paul talk about Secret Friend in 2020, that's probably the second best thing after McCartney 2, if I'm honest. Love that song. The interviewer then mentions recording in the bathroom at this point, which is indeed a very famous photo from these sessions. So maybe one of them did know their stuff, or maybe they just had good Google researchers. Who knows? Um, Then Paul went on to say how much he loves recording at home and how it's as natural to him as recording, say, at Abbey Road. After that, they talk about the key element that I mentioned earlier, about how Paul never knew he was making an album and how it's pretty much a a happy accident. Then again, he mentions how the thing that got him into the studio for McCartney 3 was working on an instrumental track for a film, and that's what sparked the whole thing. And I wonder, is this film, is this instrumental meant to be something to do with Up in the Clouds, you know, Paul's Paul's book being animated for Netflix? Because I know COVID wouldn't really put the stop on an animated film in the same way it would a live-action one. Email in at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com if you know the answer for that. He then goes on to mention how McCartney 3 is mostly all new stuff, but there are indeed a couple of classic McCartney unfinished tracks on the album. Again, we've heard that as well. And we've heard in detail one of those songs, so I'll be interested to work out which one uh, the others are. And then to cap off this segment, rather madly, another song I never thought I'd hear on the radio uh, was Nobody Knows. Now, no surprises for guessing what they spoke about in the third segment. And indeed, after what felt like another 45 hours, they got to McCartney 3 in earnest. Rather annoyingly, it's once again clear that the host of this radio show, Sean Keaveney, Sean Cavaney, has also heard McCartney 3 in full. And he talks about the album without giving too much away, but he's clearly familiar with the material. He calls it very loose and easy to listen to and just how beautiful it is. He also mentions how raw the vocals are in a good way. He reinforces to McCartney quickly, which makes Paul laugh and possibly wince somewhat uh, inside. It certainly made me laugh, at least. Then the song Seize the Day is mentioned by name. And then Paul mentions how it's essentially going to be a song that echoes the pandemic. And is he even cites the lyric, When the cold day comes, we'll wish we had seized the day. Then, as with any media these days, of course, they go on to talk about COVID. Because, of course, why would we want to hear more details about McCartney 3, more trivia about this album? And instead, they talk about how, you know, the, the constant media associated with COVID is depressing and how scary the deaths are. And then he tries to bring it around with a, with a McCartney positive, positive spin about how he's tried to draw on the post-war time spirit that his parents' generation had and how he knew they got through something as awful as World War Two. So therefore, we can get through this, which was a nice spin, admittedly. Then for us film fans who are still foaming at the mouth for this release, Paul mentions that he loves the new Peter Jackson documentary. He has indeed seen it. And it's something that is actually still happening, so we shouldn't worry about that. Then they joke about a possible McCartney 4 in 2020, and they laugh, cut to credit. Overall, whilst I'd like to be incredibly flippant and say that I enjoyed the music more than the Paul McCartney interviews in this four-hour slot... I got to admit, the excitement of hearing Paul on the radio, I know, I know, I know it wasn't live, but, you know, 
just sitting there listening to the radio with Paul on, hearing new audio from him, and just sitting there with a cup of coffee, listening for any uh, scraps of information about McCartney 3 was admittedly rather exciting. And, you know, it's, it's very clever how the radio station, you know, drew out the uh, minute amount of content they had over that period. Um, so, yeah, I did. I did enjoy it. Did we learn a whole lot about this album? Eh, not really. Not much that you wouldn't have read either in the press release, in the album liner notes, or from the Loud and Quiet interview. But, like I say, it's always just nice to hear Paul, isn't it? That's that's the main reason you're listening to it. McCartney 3 Products So, now you're all excited. You've heard the radio show. You've read the interview. You've read the press release. Where does that leave you? Where can you get McCartney 3 you know, you've been sold McCartney 3, and where can you go to buy it? Well, as of recording, McCartney 3 is indeed available for pre-order. Though when I say McCartney 3, I do mostly mean the bog-standard regular album, because as with all things McCartney, even at this super early stage, a lot of it has already sold out. So, this is going to be a look at what you can buy and what you could have bought. And of course, we're going to start off with the regular, uh, official and cheapest version of McCartney 3, which is both available on vinyl and CD. And this is going to be the most widely available issue issue of the album to anyone who wants it. It has the standard white dice artwork on the front and has a regular old black vinyl pressing, if you buy the vinyl. It is ready for pre-orders now. It's still well in stock and is not likely to run out due to any uh, artificially induced panic buying sprees. Speaking of CDs, though, do write into us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com if you are indeed still buying Paul McCartney CDs separate to big box sets. You know, And indeed, if you have a, a large collection of Paul McCartney CDs as well, that'd be very interesting to see as well. Then, on McCartney's own website, paulmccartney.com, he offered a very sexy-looking red edition of McCartney 3, this one features not only a red dice on the artwork, but also sports a very flash red-coloured vinyl. It should be noted that, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, despite being sold out, uh, you know, incredibly fucking fast, uh, this was the only way to get the exclusive poster for the album. If that's true, I'm going to be very upset. I really would like a poster with the regular issue of this album, if available. Then, as with Egypt Station, Target has its own unique edition of a new McCartney release. Though, unlike the last Target exclusive, there are no bonus tracks available on offer here, or at least as of now, like nothing's been mentioned. So far, all I'm aware that makes this unique is simply the artwork, with the dice on the front of this one being green. The vinyl indeed is still black. Pre-orders have sold out. Then, here in the UK, our generic record slash movie store, HMV, Her Majesty's Voice, is indeed also releasing its own unique version of McCartney 3. To be fair, in all likelihood, this will be the one that I buy for myself, perhaps even after this recording. And this is a version with the standard cover, but the vinyl is blue. Pre-orders are apparently still in stock, at least I hope they are. Though, like Egypt Station, I would prefer to go into the store and buy it and, you know, make a little day out of it, you know, despite the apocalypse happening around me. And yes, like Egypt Station, I know that I will start out December 11th with the intention of not listening to it on Spotify first and listening to the pure experience on vinyl. But we all know how long that's going to last, don't we? Pressing on to the next pressing, we have the Spotify hashtag fans first edition of the album which was only available to users of, of the Spotify music streaming service. Again, nothing new in terms of the album cover, but the vinyl itself, as described on the web store, is a Coke bottle clear disc, which is admittedly an absolutely wonderful-looking product. Like That translucent green vinyl has such a nostalgic feel to it, and I can't tell if it's an appeal to the older generation a.k.a. the Grey Pound, who would be old enough to remember when Coke was in green clear bottles, or because yeah, Spotify's green. I can't, I, can't, I can't quite tell. Either way, its pre-orders have already sold out. Then, 
We have a couple of mystery pressings that I haven't been able to find anything on. A couple of people on my Twitter have mentioned a pink version of McCartney 3 that I haven't found any information on. Please send that in to paulmccartneypod at gmail.com or at McCartneypod on Twitter. Then at the end of the McCartney 3 press release, there was also a sentence which stated that there will be a, and I quote, U.S. indie retail exclusive pressing of 4,000 hand-numbered white vinyl LPs. Heard nothing on that either. We'll have to keep our ear to the ground for that one. And finally, we have the 333 edition of the album that I mentioned earlier in the show that tipped me off to this album's official uh, existence that was sold online by the thirdmanstore.com. Now, leaks happen all of the time, and there are countless examples of independent chains and shops selling or listing products well ahead of when they're supposed to. And I'm guessing that since this web store is US-based, that maybe there was like a time zone issue and that they started their listing from what would have been the morning here in the UK rather than waiting till the afternoon when it was announced. A, you know, possibly a simple mistake. Either way, though, it worked in their favour as the talk of this album spread like wildfire and the 333 pressings of this album that were in existence uh, for pre-order sold out pretty much instantly. It has a gorgeous yellow dice on the front cover and the vinyl itself is also yellow, which is, again, rather pretty, I have to admit. And rather interestingly, the black sticker on the inside of the vinyl makes up the inner dot of the number three side of a dice. And then they've printed the, the two other black dots on the side as well. So, you know, it looks like you're spinning a large dice, I guess. So many dice in this McCartney 3 story, isn't, isn't there? And yeah, that's as many pressings of McCartney 3 that I know to exist. Do note, though, that the same McCartney 3 press statement that I quoted from earlier ended with the two words that... I'm sure I'm making other McCartney fans wallets quiver and more. So yes, there may be even further as of yet unannounced releases of McCartney 3 for all of you budding collectors to snap up out there. Am I being cynical though when I get a little exhausted with all of these additions already? Like the album hasn't even come out yet and already... You know, there are so many additions that you will have to collect now to have all of them. And does this remind anyone of the marketing behind Egypt Station? Because if you do, it's a dead ringer. Egypt Station, as we know, did indeed make it to number one on the US Billboard charts. But that was mostly because of pre-orders and the 93 editions of that album as well. Will McCartney 3 get to the number one spot? Possibly, you know, there isn't a lot of competition in the music, well, or, or as much competition in the music industry at the moment. And for Paul to come out with some new product just before the Christmas season, it's likely that it's going to crack the top 10 worldwide. You know, people are going to be excited for this album. Will there be future releases of the album with bonus tracks that won't be on this edition of McCartney 3 that we're buying? Eh, probably, but. That's the nature of the beast at this point, isn't it? So I'm going to embrace it. Fuck it. And that's it, folks. No real conclusion here. That was just a compilation of everything that I've managed to find on McCartney 3. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that wasn't too rambly for you there. But yeah, let me know what you think about this album. Let me know if you know anything that I don't. Have I missed anything? Is there any more vital information about this release? What do you think it's going to sound like? Are you happy or upset that it's going to sound more like McCartney 1 than McCartney 2? Do you know the missing song titles on side 2? Please get in touch with me if you know that. Have you bought any of these editions yet? Have you bought all of them? Are you annoyed about so many McCartney 3 releases coming out so early? Anything and all, please drop me an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Follow us on our Twitter page for daily updates, which is at McCartneyPod. Check out the blog, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Find us on Facebook and YouTube simply by typing in Paul McCartney Pod or Paul or Nothing. Please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes and, hey, maybe even leave a little positive review as well. It really helps out the show in a bigger way than you'd ever expect. 
And finally, obviously this show is ad-free, so if you want to help keep the lights running, as it were, please consider becoming one of our Patreon patrons, where you can support the show through a monthly donation, whether it's a dollar, a couple of dollars, or even five dollars, like one of our patrons, uh, Cheryl McCoy, has recently upped her patronage from one dollar a month to five, so... Huge shout out to Cheryl there. Cheryl, I hope you've got enough money left over though to get McCartney 3. That's the important thing, but yeah, thank you so much for that. I can I cannot thank you enough. I hope you're enjoying the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. So thank you. Thank you so much. Also, huge shout out to my other patrons, Stephanie Miller, Louis DeLonardo, Stuart Cook, Katrina S, Sam Hode, Anastasia P, Robert Carabelli, and of course, Tony Bersal. Warren Butson and my man Matt Phillips come on everyone it's McCartney 3 time I hope you're as excited as me I can't wait to make more content on this album I can't wait to review it as early as possible maybe even on December 11th I can't wait to do a listen with episode on it as well perhaps everyone this is McCartney 3 I cannot believe this is happening but I can't just rant on forever just saying how excited I am. I'm sure Denny Lane is already playing us out by now. Everyone, keep listening to Paul. Peace and love, peace and love. Harry Harry Krishna and all that jazz. Take care. Bye-bye.